Morning. How's everybody doing? Okay, all right. Uh, my name is David Stone. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Hey, before we get into our passage this morning, I actually want to update you on something uh, kind of exciting. Uh, I know a ton of you are new just in the last uh, month or two, but back in June, uh, we announced that the corner lot, which is immediately uh, north of us, there used to be the old Shell gas station there, uh, that that unexpectedly came up for sale, which is huge for our church because we knew that when we expand this place in the future that we were going to be up to 100 parking spots short at that time. And so we wanted to jump on this opportunity because the corner lot would allow us to build all of the parking spots we need in the future at the time when we expand. However, in order to purchase the corner lot at $1.3 million, as it's a huge corner lot in the fast-growing city, we knew that we needed to raise $300,000 really in a matter of weeks. And the people of Renovation Church are incredibly generous people, and we raised not 300000 but over $400,000 in just a matter of weeks and put that all down on the property. And I am happy to announce to you that we are closing on that property on Tuesday this week. Um, so in about... 49 hours from now, uh, we are going to officially own that property, which is amazing. So thank you uh, so much for your generosity. Our mission is to follow Jesus and help others do the same. And this is going to allow a lot more people to do that. So thank you for that. All right, this summer we have been uh, working through the book of Joshua, chapter by chapter, as a church. Uh, If you've never read Joshua before, it's the story of how God takes his people, the Israelites, and he takes them into the promised land. Uh, So go ahead and grab a Bible, Uh, whether you brought one with you or you're using the ones here, they're under the chairs. I'd love for you to take it so you can study it this morning. Uh, If you're using the ones here, we're going to be on page 162. Uh, By the way, uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to take this one with you. We would love for you to take it and start investigating it yourself. Uh, Today, we're going to be in chapter 23, and we see Joshua is giving a speech uh, towards the end of his life. So this, this chapter actually takes place about 25 or 30 years later after the majority of the stories that we read at the beginning of the book of Joshua. Uh, We're actually going to start in verse 6 today. Uh, The first five verses, uh, which I encourage you to read later, uh, Joshua kind of begins his speech by reminding the Israelites that it was the Lord who fought for them and blessed them with the promised land. And now Joshua is urging them to continue to drive out the Canaanites before the Canaanites lure them into sin and away from the one true God. So we're Joshua chapter 23, so find that big number 23, and then we're going to be at verse 6. So that's the small number 6. That's where we're going to start. It says this, Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. That's all of the Bible they have up until that point. Without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the name of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Okay, let's start to break this down. So look at verse six. Joshua reminds them uh, what God has told them. And actually, God told them this in chapter 1, 25 years ago, that they are to be careful, it says, to obey all of God's word, the word that he has given to them, because they are absolutely going to be tempted to live like everybody else around them. And so Joshua pleads with them. In fact, this is put your eyes on verse 8 for a second, because verse 8 is really the central meaning of this whole chapter. It's the central point. Joshua tells them to hold fast 
to the Lord your God. As the culture's moving all around them, they are to hold fast. No, to hold fast, we don't use that phrase a whole lot anymore, but to hold fast is to cling to, it's to cleave to, it means to grab onto. Often we see hold fast uh, in literature, you see it when we're talking about like waters raging all around and it means hold tight, hold on. I had the following kind of word picture in my head as I was thinking through this concept of this week, and, and maybe it'll help you to sort of picture this imagery in your mind. I think of like, you know like when a hurricane comes and the floodwaters are sort of rising in the city streets, and you see those images on the news where the, the water's sort of racing down the neighborhood street? Imagine sort of fast-moving waters like that, but imagine that in a neighborhood, maybe it was a monument or something, there's some large rock and it's 10 or 15 feet tall. Now, if you were to go and you were to hold fast, to cling to the top of that rock, you would be safe no matter how fast or how strong the floodwaters were racing down the street. And Joshua tells the Israelites that they are to hold fast to God and his teaching as the culture around them of the Canaanites rages in a different direction. Now in the New Testament, we get an even fuller and more beautiful picture of this because we are told that Jesus Christ, God's son, is our rock. And we are to hold fast to Jesus and not let the cultural floodwaters drag us away. And so Joshua warns the people. This is verse seven now. He says, do not invoke the names of their gods. Don't swear by them. Don't serve them. Don't you bow down to them. Now, for many of us today, the temptation for you is probably not, I would say not yet, anyway, in America, to convert to a different religion, but the temptation for us is to follow the idols of the culture around us. And I think if you look back at history, there have always been, since the beginning of this country, there have been cultural waters around American Christians that try and persuade them to leave the rock of Christ. But I think the way in which our cultural waters are moving is changing. So if you go back about 50 years or so, what you would see is the cultural waters around American Christians uh, probably were more like a sleepy creek, okay? They were lulling Christians into thinking that they were saved just by going to church like everybody else, right? And they were saying, just go to church, just do your duty, don't be a Jesus freak, and just show up at church, and then live like everybody else. That's what the cultural waters around authentic Christians were saying. But today, times have changed. Because now the cultural waters around us, they're not lulling us into lukewarmness. Now, they're lapping against us. Right? Like the floodwaters that are racing through a street. And so if you want to be an actual follower of Jesus Christ now, I'm not talking about someone who attends church. I'm saying you want to be a follower a disciple of Jesus Christ. You want to be someone, as one of our core values in the lobby says, you want to be someone who puts God first. Well, if that's the case, then today you're going to feel the pressure of the current of the culture as everyone else in the culture is going a different way. And so what I want to do over the next bit is I want to give you several different examples of different cultural currents that are pushing against those who want to hold fast to the rock and to the teachings of Jesus Christ. But before I do so, I just wanna warn you at the outset here. Uh, some of these examples may feel pretty challenging. Uh, I find that uh, many uh, American Christians are fairly unaware of just how deeply they're swimming in the cultural waters around them. And I think that's, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we wear these cultural glasses and sometimes we just don't even recognize it. 
And because of the nature of this, uh, I have to give you many examples where many, uh, if not most of us, are swimming with the culture. And thus, these are particular issues where I think Christianity intersects with our American culture at a more painful point because living as a disciple in these particular areas is so against the current. And so here's what's gonna happen over the next few minutes. I'm gonna give some examples, and maybe at one of those examples I give, you're gonna go, amen, pastor, amen. Finally, somebody is preaching the truth and saying it like it is, amen. And then I'm gonna get to the next example, and you're gonna say, David Michael Soren. I cannot stand you right now. I just, I am so, I'm... I'm literally angry at you. And so before we get there, can we just agree as Christians who respect the word of God that we are going to be open to its teaching and authority on our lives? Church, can we agree to that this morning? All right, let's talk youth sports. Okay. (laughs) You just promised me. Okay. All right. But seriously, I think it's a perfect example, and you know it is, and that's why you nervously laughed, because... If you want your children to play sports or an activity or whatever it is, and you also want them to grow up as passionate disciples of Jesus Christ, how do you do that? It's not 1970 anymore. I mean, even when I was a kid, it, was, it wasn't really a conflict. But how do you do that in 2022? Now, I'm not saying your kids shouldn't play sports. Don't send me an email saying I hate sports or something. I love sports. I, I'm saying this. If you're as a parent, want to make a decision, you're faced with a decision of saying, are we going to prioritize our spiritual development and their spiritual development, or are we going to prioritize our commitment to the activity or the athletic team? And maybe you don't think of it that way as a prioritization, but it is, right? Because you're forced to always make decisions on what's going to win out. And I find that so many American Christians, in fact, I think we can safely say the vast majority of American Christians, they prioritize the activity. And that's happening in part because it feels like basically every single human being in our culture right now is walking the other way in the current, right? This is kind of what everybody's doing. And I think, deep down, I feel, I'm a parent, I love sports. I think we feel, deep down, we worry about our kids missing out. Don't you think that's it? I mean, you look at, you're looking at everyone else, you're like, well, the Johnsons and the Smiths, their kid's 18 months old, they got them with a hockey stick already. I see them outside, right? And like, you're looking at someone else, they're like, they're traveling around the country already, and you just feel this like, <gasps> fear that your kid is going to miss out. And we don't want them to miss out. But here's the thing. Let me just speak to the Christian parents, especially those of you with young kids that aren't there yet or those of you with kids that are in this right now. I want every Christian parent like that to just look at me right now. Your job as a Christian parent is to think long-term for your kids. Okay, you cannot just laser in on the next 10 to 15 years. Oh, at high school, we've got to get them to this, and then at college. Your job as a Christian parent, as a disciple of your kids, is to think about the next 100 years for them. In fact, even more so, it's to think about the next 100 million years for them. This is a hard word, but I want you to hear me, Christian parents. Be more worried about your kids missing out on the kingdom of heaven then you are worried about them missing out on varsity sports. But this is hard. 
This is so hard right now as an American Christian. It is hard to hold fast on the flooded street named youth sports and activities. It's super hard because if you're going to live differently and you're going to say, no, if there is any conflict, the king of kings comes first. God comes first. And listen, I'm not saying be a legalist. I'm not saying, okay, well, you better live this way. I'm saying if your heart is for Jesus and you're saying, I'm living for eternity, I'm living for him, I'm living with a long picture, this is what I want to do. I want to put him first. If you're going to say, no, here's what I want to do with my kids. And by the way, parents, I actually think this is maybe the best parenting advice I can give you. As a Christian parent, what you want to do is you want to say, I want to give my kids before they leave my house I want to give my kids as many opportunities as possible. That's Sunday mornings, that's, that's Wednesday night youth group, that's retreats, that's camps, that's daily Bible reading, that's spiritual conversations in the car. As a parent, you want to say, I want to give my kids as many opportunities as possible to meet and fall in love with Jesus before they leave my home. You know what that is? That's thinking about the next 100 years. And what's going to help them when they're 40 What's going to help them in eternity? It's Christian biblical discipleship. But if you do that, then you're kind of forced probably to reprioritize some things. And maybe you change how deeply you go into the youth sports vortex, as I like to call it. And you know what? If you do that, that's going to cause your friends and neighbors and some teammates and some coaches to question you. Because nobody else is doing that right now. In 1970, a lot of people were, but today, no, they're not. They're not. Everybody's going that way. And if you reprioritize, they're going to look at you and say, what? what are you, who are you? But I tell you right now, you hold fast. You hold fast to what God is calling you to do. And it's just as hard for Joshua's listeners in chapter 23 because everyone around the Israelites would live in a different way. All of the different nations were. But he says to them, but you listen to me. I don't care what everybody else is doing. You hold fast. Because listen, your aim of your life is not to look like everyone else. Your aim is to glorify God with every fiber of your being. Okay, let's look to a different street. What about something as simple as how we relax in the evening as a modern-day American? Have you scrolled through any of the menus of the streaming services lately? I mean, I, I find this, I think this is hard. As a, you, my, my wife and I talk about this a lot. We're like, what? Like, what do you even watch nowadays as a Christian? I mean, I don't think it was that hard. I mean, it wasn't easy 20 or 30 years ago, but nowadays it's like, I just find this really hard. I mean, maybe, I, maybe I'm the only one, but I, I see your heads nodding, so I, I think you agree that it's like you can barely watch something nowadays that doesn't have some sort of nude scene in it or sex scene or it's just laced with profanity. All of those things, by the way, that we are told in Ephesians 5 is... Christ followers to not even have a hint of in our lives. It's hard if you want to be obedient to verse 6 in our passage today. It says, don't even turn to the left or the right in how you're obeying God every hour of your day. That's hard. And it's hard precisely because this is happening on this cultural current of entertainment street where the current where everybody else is walking is so strong because everybody's watching it. And so for you to say, I'm going to be really selective in how I spend my time in the evening. For you to say, you know what, I'm just going to cancel my subscription. I mean, the the New Testament says, if your eye is causing you to sin, Jesus says, then what? Then gouge it out, right? So I just, I'm not going to have that anymore. Well, if you do that, then you 
are weird. I mean, I don't know how else to say it in our culture, right? That's what they're going to say. It's so countercultural. But I say to you, you hold fast. If your heart is for Jesus Christ, then you hold fast. Because God's ways are better. I mean, do you believe that God's ways are better? then you've got to believe it even if nobody else does. And I mean, maybe it's not sports or entertainment for you. I mean, maybe, maybe for you it's somewhere else. I mean, where, are you? where would you say that you are tempted to just let go of the rock of Christ and just go with the rest of the culture? It's hard. It's hard to hold on to the rock when nobody else is. And let me look to one more street where I think the cultural floodwaters are pressing pretty hard against those who want to hold to the rock. So this Friday, I walked into Target, right here in Blaine, and I saw this particular display. I took this picture. It's not like a meme I found on the internet. I took this picture myself at Target on Friday. And here's what it says. College essentials, and here you just see a display of condoms, and on the other side were included more items to help you sleep around and pursue hookup culture in college. This is the floodwaters of culture. Let me just speak to the young people in the room. There's a number of you that are in high school. There's some of you that you just got back to college or you're going back next week. Even to the single young adults in the room, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're saying, yes, I believe in the teachings of Jesus. I believe that sex is reserved for marriage and in that place in marriage, it is a glorious gift from God. But I believe it's reserved for marriage. If that's where you are as a young person, then yes, you know probably even a lot better than your parents or your grandparents that the floodwaters of culture are raging against you on this particular street. Okay, to the parents and the grandparents in the room, this is no longer like, okay, there are always like 20% of young people that were just kind of wooing other people to follow them in their wild and promiscuous lifestyle. Lifestyle. The cultural current is moving so fast right now that the local store where people shop for clothes and groceries is telling you that hookup culture is normal. No, no, no. It is an essential part of you growing up. But I say to every young person in this room, I say, but you hold fast. You hold fast. You cling to the wisdom of the creator not to the ever-changing waters of the culture. The waters are going to rage, the waters are going to rise, but you, you cling to the rock, young person. Why? There's more here. Let's keep reading the word of God. Let's go to verse 9 now. So open it back up. It says this. It says, The Lord, the Joshua is speaking to the Israelites, The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. And so Joshua is saying the Lord has driven out these Canaanite nations, right? He's defeated them. He has won. He is victorious. God has showed you victory in your life. And so Joshua is saying to the Israelites, so why would you ever, why would you ever, ever, ever go and live and worship like a defeated culture? They're defeated. These idols are worthless. And so listen to me. It may be right now that you feel like you are the only one in, at your school, in your family, at work, in your neighborhood. It may feel like you are the only one clinging to the rock. And everybody else around you is just floating right down the road on the cultural current. 
But it doesn't have to be you. You don't have to be them. You hold fast. And let me tell you why. Because there is no point, there is no point in you worshiping a false god that has already been defeated and is just going to be defeated again in the future. They may even mock you for holding fast to the rock while they all float down the street with the floodwaters. But let me tell you where the floodwaters go. They go down the street and then they go down the drain. And so will every single idea of the culture that is not of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is one day our Lord will come back where the truth is one day you will die and you will meet him face to face. And you need to know this right now because everybody's looking at you saying, oh, you're the only one. Why? And you're feeling this pressure like, oh, maybe I should be like everybody else. But you're still trying to hold fast to the rock. You need to know that when you meet your maker that you will feel no shame. You will feel no shame that everybody else floated by and you held to the rock. In that moment, no shame. Because the rock is the judge, not the culture. And so you hold fast. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. It says this. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you whips on your back and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God, has ga- the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things your lo- the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. Okay, let's start with verse 12 here. He says, but if you ally yourselves with these other nations, with these pagan Canaanites. Now, what's interesting here is that word ally, actually in Hebrew, that's the original language, is the exact same word we have in verse eight for hold fast, to cling to. They just translated it to ally in this particular context. But what God is saying is, often what starts for us as a little toe dipping in the cultural waters usually ends up in a clinging. It's in a hold fast. Now, verse 13 sort of bears this out. It uses these different illustrations of snare and trap. You know, it kind of maybe starts like a little snare and trap, but eventually the snare and trap turn into a whip and a thorn. I, think, I feel like this is the story of a hundred legends and fairy tales throughout our culture. Right? This is little Red Riding Hood thinking that she's walking in for a wonderful time with her favorite grandmother to learn that it was just a trap. I think this is us as Christians right now in 2022 thinking about how hard it is to hold on to the rock of Jesus when nobody else is. And maybe that's where you came into church this morning, thinking like, I don't even know if I want to keep doing this because nobody's living like this. Why would I hold on? And we start dreaming about how nice it would be just to go with everybody else, just to think and believe with everybody else floating down the street. But we want to let go, but I tell you, before you let go, you must count the cost the long-term cost of letting go 
with everybody else. And it's here I think we, become face, we come face to face with what is a really a good summary of the entire teaching, of the enti- excuse me, of the entire book of Joshua. And this is verse 14. I love this. Joshua says, believers, you know, you know that not one of God's promises has failed. Not one. He did everything he promised he would do if they trusted him. Every last thing. His promises never fail. Church, I would just ask you, has God been good to you? Do you trust his promises? Well, then you also, Joshua says, need to trust his warnings. And Joshua warns them that if they forsake God's ways, they let go of the rock, they just drift with everyone else. If they forsake God's ways, then they must understand that then they will no longer experience the benefit of God's ways. And instead, in God's discipline, they will experience the pain of getting bounced around in the floodwaters, gasping for air. And indeed, unfortunately, you read the next book of the Bible, the book of Judges, that's basically exactly what it's about. Because they did forsake his ways. And we need to know it is folly, it is foolishness to play around with the warnings of God. Our American church today has become so over-focused on God's love and his mercy that I would say that we are actually ignorant of his teachings on this. I talk to so many Christians who say things like, you know what, I'm just, as it comes to my life, I'm just going to kind of watch what I watch. I'm going to live how I live. I'm going to speak how I speak. I'm going to act how I act. I'm going to make the choices that I want to. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because I know that Jesus died for me and he loves me. And I would say, if you truly are a Christian, then yes, you are his child, and he does love you. But that doesn't mean that you won't face his loving discipline for such callousness. I mean, just think of it this way. I, I consider myself um, an average father, and I feel like if my child acted like that, and they said, Dad, I'm going to live how I want to live. I'm going to treat people however I want to treat people. I'm going to act however I want to act. And it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, I know you, my dad, love me. I would say, you know what? I do love you. That is true. But because I love you so much, I'm going to discipline you. Why do you discipline your teenagers when they act like that? It's because you want them to learn from the folly of their ways. And so hear me. As your pastor, hear me as a herald of God's word, do not test God in this. Do not say, as so many American Christians the last 10 years have been saying, well, the culture is moving this way, everybody believes this, everybody's acting like this. It's too hard to hold fast to the rock. And you know what? It doesn't really matter because God will just love me anyway. Don't say that. Don't let go. No, you hold fast. Hold fast to the rock. This is the fear of the Lord that the Bible talks about so often and we teach about so little in the American church. The fear of the Lord is that if we believe his ways are true, if we believe his words are better, then believe it, then honor it, then respect it and hold fast. And I want to tell you, these words are for you even if you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. Because maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you've been tossed around by the currents of life, by the currents of culture. Yeah, maybe you've gone out and you've tried everything the culture has offered. And it hasn't given you life. And you feel lost, you feel down, you feel maybe even depressed. What I am saying to you this morning is you come to the rock. 
You come to safety, come to forgiveness. You come home. Because this is what God created you for. It's for a relationship with him. It isn't to just be pushed around with the latest idea that the culture has. He has created you to know and walk with him. Do you know that God loves you? That God cares for you. And God is here right now, right now. And he is reaching out to you. And he did so already by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. And if you would believe that, and you would believe that Jesus loves you so much, even after seeing all of your sin, all of it, he came and he died on the cross for you, taking your punishment. And the Bible says if you would believe in that, he would take that just punishment off of you and onto Jesus so that you could be forgiven. And then what happens when you call out to him and you say, Jesus, I believe that. I need that. Save me. I am drowning. I'm drowning in my sins. Save me. When you reach out to him, what the Bible says is he will grab your hand and he will pull you onto the rock and you will be saved and you can know him and you can have a relationship with him and he will save you from that punishment for your sins. And so you won't spend eternity in hell for your sins, he will take it. And so you can spend eternity in heaven. That is an amazing gift. And it's an amazing gift put out in front of you today that you can know life. You don't have to be bounced around anymore. You can come to the rock. And some of you in here, you need to come right now. You need to come this morning. Stop running and you come to Jesus because he is the rock. He is where it's at. And so what we're going to do right now, I'm going to actually call our band back on stage, and we're going to sing a final worship song. And if you are here and you need to come to Jesus this morning, you need to, you need to say, it's me, I am drowning, save me, I want you to be the leader of my life, forgive me. Anytime during this last song, what I want you to do is actually sneak out of your seat and walk to the front, right around here in front of the stage on the floor. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's not easy to follow Jesus. It is good but it's not easy. And so if you're saying it's time, it is time to come, it is time to reach out, it is time to cling, and you need to give your life to him, to accept him as your leader and savior. Anytime during this last song, you'll come. You'll know if you need to come. You just will. And you come. And then at the end, I'll come back up and pray for you, okay? Let me just pray for that time. Lord, we, we thank you for what you're doing in this space this morning. God, we can sense it. And I just pray for anyone in this room, Lord, that they need to reach out and let you pull them out of the water and trust in you as their savior, that you, Lord, would draw them to yourself right now. You tell us that you do that. And we just ask you to do that in this space right now. In your name we pray, amen.